Priest and I'm a content manager here at the National Assembly for Wales and this month we've been celebrating Black History Month and we've invited Ross Joseph Fuentes, Ali Abdi and Vaughan Gethin to talk about what it means to them. Rossio is the chair of the Welsh Refugee Coalition and CEO of EAST. Vaughan Gethin, Assembly Member for Cardiff South and Penarth, and Ali Abdi, who's the lead community gateway at Grangetown and Cardiff University. A quick note on this recording, the Senate is a busy building, we get a lot of visitors, so you'll hear some noises in the background. Also, Ali missed the first half, so you'll hear him arrive halfway through, and sadly didn't get to introduce himself. But I started off by asking Rossio and Vaughan to tell us a little bit about their backgrounds and also how they got to where they are now. I'm Rocio Cifuentes. I lead a charity which is called Ethnic Minorities and Youth Support Team. Uh, I came to Wales as a baby with my parents from Chile. We were refugees from the Pinochet dictatorship. Uh, we were welcomed in Wales. I grew up in Swansea, um, went on to Cambridge University, studied social and political science, and came back to Wales shortly afterwards. And for the last 13 years, have been leading and developing uh, East Wales, which is a charity that aims to support ethnic minority people in Wales, including refugees and asylum seekers, but any person from a minority background. So. And Vaughan, you, you've been an Assembly member since 2011. Uh, how, do you, how do you find yourself joining this fine institution? Well, it's a, it's a bit of an odd route, because I was born in Zambia in 1974. My father was born in Ogmont by Sea, went to Griffithstown, the primary school. He ended up working in Zambia, where I met my mother. Uh, my mother was actually born in the then colony of Northern Rhodesia. So she lived through and saw independence to become the Commonwealth Republic of Zambia. And uh, I was born there. The family moved to the UK in 1976, so I didn't have much to say in the matter. And uh, we ended up by accident in uh, Dorset. Uh, my father had a job offer uh, in Wales, and they asked him to come back with his family to, uh, to sign everything up. And then the job offer got withdrawn because he arrived with my mother and us. And so it's instructor room, and that's the middle of the 1970s. So if I'd been white, I'd have grown up in Wales. Uh, but it's uh, the reality of what happened. Uh, and so I grew up in rural uh, setting. So the only black children in my primary school were my siblings. And in my high school, we were always at least half of the black children in our school. So very visible and very obvious. Everyone knew who you were. Um, they knew you were the vet son, um, and you know that there was that was there was good and bad in that. But you know, I then went to university in Wales. That was a deliberate choice on my part. Uh, my father made sure we came back to Wales on a regular basis, um, and he was really proud and delighted that I'd chosen to come to Wales. So I studied in Aberystwyth. I was then the president of the students' union during the time there, the Guild of Students, and I was then the first black president of NUS Wales. I completed my law degree and I came to work here as a researcher at the start of the National Assembly for Wales. I completed my legal studies and became a solicitor. I was a trade union employment lawyer and I was a partner in a national law firm 
and I carried on being a trade union activist as well. So I was eventually the youngest and the first black president of the Welsh UC as well. So I I got interested in politics at a young age and I stayed interested. Uh, but initially I had always wanted to be a lawyer. So politics became along much later in life. Uh, and I served this part of Wales, Butte Town, as the councillor from 2004 to 2008. And I then find myself here having won a selection within the uh, with, within the Welsh Labour Party and then an election in 2011. I mean, that's that's amazing. There's a, a massive am- amount of engagement here. I think that's what I'm getting out of it, is both of you are incredibly hardworking, but also with an eye towards representing communities that are much too invisible. We're here, we're, we're talking today because of Black History Month. With what you've just said, what, what does Black History Month actually mean for you and for the general public today? Um, Vaughan, why don't, why don't you start with that? Well, it's a platform to remind ourselves of forgotten history and the forgotten contribution of lots of people, that like myself and Rossio, the contribution we've made to the history of Wales and the uh, fact that we are part of making history for the future. If you look at so many different things where um, our contribution is not recognised, this year we've had NHS 70, the Windrush 70 uh, celebration as well, reminding people that actually lots of those people helped to rebuild Britain. They were invited to come to Britain uh, because of the state the country's in after the Second World War. Um, we should remind ourselves, too, of the contribution, the centenary we're going to have about the end of the First World War and about the fact there are plenty of black servicemen who fought in that conflict. Uh, we often forget about the British Indian Army as well, about their enormous contribution. And as people learn history now, to make sure that that's part of it and that people recognise that the story of Wales is an international story. Uh, it's a story that takes in people in different parts of the world, and we should be proud of the fact that we have links to the other parts of the world. It makes us a richer and a better place. Um, we should also remember some of the more difficult parts of our history, the fact that sometimes you can have a conversation about race and Wales, and it's as if people say the history of Wales, the history of Paul Robeson, someone who was despised in other parts of the world, but he had a welcome in the valleys because that's who we are. Part of that is true, but it's also true we had race riots here as well. So there's been discrimination in our past, and we know this discrimination still exists in modern-day Wales as well. And our challenge is how Black History Month reminds us of the past, reminds us of difficult parts of our past, but at the same time, it should be a platform for the future. Because ideally, I would want to see a place where Black History Month is no longer necessary because it's an accepted part of our history that everyone feels they've got a stake in. Um, but we know that isn't the case now, so it's... Uh, I think is something that we need to have. Uh, and it's not just for people that look like me and Rosso, but it's for the whole country to recognise and to understand and to celebrate, as well as challenge ourselves about the sort of country that we really do want to be. And as the chair of, of um, Welsh Refugee Coalition, yeah. you see all sorts of sides on Black History Month. Well, I think Black History Month is a really important opportunity to recognise the positive contributions of a whole range of different communities who've come to Wales, who've settled here from the Polish to the Somalis to the Filipinos, Chinese, Bangladeshi. There's such um, 
diversity of communities who come here and not only recently is it's you know from the beginning of time i think it's very important that we normalize the idea of migration and and diversity it's not a recent thing it's not a new thing it's not a threatening thing it's something which is 100 percent normal if we think about um you know i'm sitting here drinking a cappuccino where did that come from the italians uh, a curry how how many people ha will have a curry tonight friday night and where did that come from? You know, it came from South Asian immigration to the UK. Um, chips. Chips are a, a foreign import. So everything, you know, migration and, and you know, the history of humanity is, is the history of people moving across the globe and settling and mixing and creating and recreating very rich cultures. And Wales is no different. So I think it's Black History Month is a really good opportunity to take stock and reflect on all of that positivity. To embed that message in schools is really very important. Um, I agree with Vaughan that it shouldn't just be one month. It needs to be embedded across the curriculum, across the school year, across, you know, not just in schools, but in, in our workplaces, in public life. We need to be celebrating and recognizing continuously the, the contribution of so many different communities from across the globe and the contribution of, you know, the, I, I agree that sometimes the notion of Wales as a very welcoming place is overstated. But as you said, there is an element of truth in that and we need to celebrate and hold on to that, particularly at, in current times when, you know, we're having this very damaging prevailing narrative um, around the, the, you know, the presumed threat from immigration and diversity and so on. So it's, it's, a, it's a very important to hold on to these positives. We've got an exhibition on in, in, the, in the Pierhead building, which is next to the Senate here, and that's Young Migrant and Welsh. Where does migration fit in specifically with Wales? Does it differ from a UK-wide perspective? Vaughan, have you got an opinion on this? Well, we're here in Cardiff, and the growth of Cardiff is about the history of coal and the sea. And a large part why Cardiff has had a stable Somali community since the 19th century is about the growth of industry in the sea. People who came here to work and who settled here, who were a part of life here. And you see that story played out in lesser or larger parts in other parts of the UK and other parts of Wales. Everywhere with a port will have different people from around the world who have added to what we have. We have a Greek church uh, a short walk from here because of the Greeks and Greek Cypriots who came. If you go to Swansea and see the Swansea Jazz Exhibition, there's an awful lot of social history there as well. And it talks about the differing perspectives on a range of historic things. It talks about the slave trade. It talks about music and how different things have helped to change Wales, as I said, for the better. And that's what we should never be afraid to make the argument of, that actually our country is better for the different people that have made their homes here that we can all say that we're proud to be Welsh and British and to claim our roots in another part of the world. And there's no contradiction in doing that. You don't have to surrender who you are to be allowed to say you're Welsh or British. And you see some of that struggling in other parts of the UK. You know, uh, London is entirely at ease with its rich history around the world. If you go to Liverpool, often called the capital of North Wales, well, Liverpool is really proud of a variety of different people who settled there. Uh, you see lots and lots of people are very proud of being uh, of Irish origin in Liverpool, and lots of people are very proud of their Welsh origin too. 
And you also see a very rich um, mixture of people from around the world who settle there too. And again, no surprise that it's a big port too. So you have this tension of wanting to understand who you are and somebody wants to close that off to say, these are the things that you are, therefore you're not other parts of the world, as opposed to that more outward looking view on who we are. And it is a fight, Rossi is right, that is not just worth having, but worth winning. Uh, because an open and a tolerant world is much more likely to be successful. We're much more likely to have communities that are at ease with each other if we can welcome and tolerate difference rather than seeing it as suspicious and something that we should fight against. And, you know, those are the values that drive us into public service as well, I think. Other people have different values and other people want to see a different sort of Wales. I think we're in the right place to have the right fight about the sort of country we really should be. Yeah, so the Young Migrant and Welsh exhibition is um, uh, an exhibition presenting some photography and films which have been created by young people supported by EAST, the organisation that I lead. And the idea behind that was we really wanted to reclaim and the young people wanted to reclaim the notion of migrant. The word migrant is overwhelmingly used in a negative sense mm. by the mainstream media. And we wanted to highlight and illustrate how many you know we are all migrants at some stage or another you know in, it, at some stage in our history we have all come from somewhere else so we want to reclaim that word present it in a positive way show the contributions that migrants make and link it very clearly to welshness because welshness is not distinct from migration it's it, it's it's one and the same and young people have a very important role to play within that because uh, m most of the people coming to Wales are overwhelmingly w uh, young and the young population in Wales is also more diverse, more ethnically diverse than the, the rest of the population. So there's a clear, there's an important role for young people to play in making this argument and showing how Wales can be a diverse, united place. But I think very important in this conversation is the, the role of poverty. Mm. Um, it's easy to be welcoming when you have you have enough and you feel that you have enough but it's when people start to feel like they don't have enough or that there isn't enough to go around is when the notion of welcome becomes quite strained mm. and challenged and I think we need to be talking about poverty at the same time as um, you know when we're challenging racism and challenging anti-immigration and anti-refugee rhetoric we need to acknowledge the grievances and the feelings of people who are essentially poor and feeling strapped and feeling that resources aren't effectively distributed. And I think that is a challenge for, for you, Vaughan, and Welsh Government. Yeah, and it's been an effective campaign over time by extremists to go to poor people and say there is a convenient scapegoat for why you don't have enough and it's somebody different. Mm. And you see that through history. Uh, you see that going back to... Uh, going back to the days of the Roman Empire, where people complained of immigration, despite the fact that Rome was a world city. Uh, you see that in recent history uh, with the rise of fascism, with the rise of Nazi Germany. You see it in the activities of the National Front of Oswald Mosley. Uh, you see that in the way in which the BNP rose. And I remember knocking doors and having very uncomfortable conversations with people who said that the reason why they didn't have work was because um, of the Poles. It was because of black people, it was because of Somalis, people who didn't belong here. And that narrative is really toxic. But if you don't feel 
that politics and politicians speak for you, that they don't understand who you are and the struggles you have on a daily basis, then that is ripe territory for uh, the racists, for the extremists to come in and offer that convenient alternative. Now, that sometimes we look at our progress and, you know, the the recollection I gave about the fact that in the it was the 70s when my dad had a job offer withdrawn. But for the progress we've made since then, and we have, that is real, we should not forget that that progress comes because we choose to fight for it, we choose to argue for it. We can't just assume it will carry on and on and on. And anyone who thinks differently should look at what's happened within our country in the last few years, with the rise of intolerance we have seen and felt. We should look around the globe as well. And... If you'd thought at the start of Barack Obama's presidency what would happen at the end of two terms of Obama, you would not have instinctively thought there'd be such an extreme reaction to deliver the most reactionary president of the United States in my lifetime. But that's what happened. And there was a deliberate element of grievance for people who saw themselves being left behind as the world changed. Mm. And that doesn't mean they're bad people. It means actually there was a failure of political leadership to give them an alternative to understand the challenges, the pain that they and their communities were going through. And there was a very loud, visible, convenient answer being offered by someone. And yet, it's, it, as we see, it is always more difficult to deliver on that. But actually, once that person is in power, you then have to deal with the rat they're in power and they will change the narrative and they will change how people feel about their country. Either they'll feel more extreme or they'll feel that their views are validated. And for people that look like me and Rossio, it will make us feel uh, that we are less safe and less welcomed in our country. And that's a really dangerous mix. Yeah, so I think um, we are facing in Wales, in Cardiff, in Swansea, in the valleys, across, you know, and as you said, across the world, the threats from creeping fascism. It's a real threat. It's a growing threat. It, I've, unfortunately, things have got gone backwards in the last ten years, as you as you mentioned. And w I don't think many people saw it coming. Um, but we are all threatened by that. Black, Polish, refugees, Italians, white Welsh. Mm. We are all facing the same threat. And I think it's really important to build alliances across those groups, mm. build solidarity and show how if those communities can work with each other and unite uh, against this threat they can they can be stronger and and we need to exemplify that mm. um, and political leadership need to exemplify that and i know i'm not saying anything that you'll be disagreeing no, with i completely agree but it's it's so important um and and it's part of my black history but it isn't just for people like me and rossio yes this it's is for the, the whole country this is what i was coming to i think that there is a danger that uh, Black History Month does become tokenistic and does become almost it. Even though I'm, you know, I've just been talking about how important it is and, and the, the how, you know, the positive contribution it makes. There's a danger that it can further alienate mm. um, the white working class, left behind communities, who may then feel, you know, there's quite often what about, you know, somebody mm. yesterday referred to it as what aboutery. You know, yeah. so we talk about black history, what about white history and so on. Mm. So it, we need to be talking about everybody's shared history, shared mm. humanity, mm. shared 
human rights. Um, going back to this idea of, of you know, commonalities, hmm. the commonwealth was, yeah. you know, that yeah. word itself yeah. is an example. It, you know, it has negative, you know, largely negative connotations in terms of, you know, Britain's uh, imperial past and so on. But it's the idea that we share this, these mm. resources and this wealth, and we all have a stake in that and something to contribute. So there's something in that that I think would be worth looking at and reviving. You know, I, I regularly say we have a shared history and we have a shared future. Yeah. And we should see those things as shared, the things that we each have an ownership stake in. And if we can't generate that sense of um, a shared value and shared future, then we're unlikely to see the country as successful as we want it to. And it isn't just that at times like this that politicians will sign pledges around election time. It's actually how we conduct ourselves during all of our time in public office. Mm -hmm. It does it so it is about personal example. It is about the policies that you pursue. It's about how you're prepared to act to try and gain votes. Mm. And that is challenging. Mm. We've already got the tools, the language, the narrative to tie in migration into an extremely positive element. You mentioned uh, the food that we eat. Mm. Vaughan, you mentioned 70 years since Windrush, 70 years since the NHS. I don't think those numbers are a coincidence. I think those mm. go hand in hand. Mm. Why aren't those things more prevalent and why haven't they been accepted centrally in a, in, in a manner that is positive and represents every citizen that currently resides in Wales? Well, because the social norms we have are really powerful and it takes time to replace them and to revise them. Earlier this month, I held an event in the Senate uh, about the contribution of uh, black people to rugby and the recognition. Now, lots of black rugby players left Wales and went to rugby league. That was partly about money, uh, partly because they could earn a living, but it was largely about the fact that they didn't think they'd get on. Billy Boston didn't want to leave Wales. He wanted to play for Cardiff. He wanted to play for Wales. But he could hardly get a game. Uh, and that's the same for lots of those other highly talented black players who left. Clive Sullivan, who captained the Great Britain Rugby League team, uh, scored one of the most famous tries in rugby league history, led Great Britain to a Rugby League World Cup, the first black person to captain a major um, British team. And here in the city of Cardiff, where he was born and went to school, hardly anybody knows who he is. Now that's part of our problem. How do we get back to saying, look, this matters because rugby league's gain was Wales's loss. And what could we have done if we'd mm. maintained and used that talent as we should have done, if it had the platform to succeed? I, when I was a boy growing up and watching the Five Nations that then was, Glenn Webb getting picked was a big thing for me. Um, but it was really odd that Wales didn't have a regular black player. And the team of today is really different. You couldn't imagine an all-white side going out in the Millennium Stadium in the Red of Wales. Mm -hmm. And that's a good thing that we've moved on. But it says that thing about you need to see who you are or somebody like you, and that helps you to think, well, that could be for me as well. Yeah. And that's part of the reason why you know the example we set matters, not just about wearing a suit and talking on the telly, but actually what do you then do? So I got to bring people here to the assembly because of the position I hold. I got to host uh, the filming of you know our Welsh Zambian BAFTA award winner Rangona Naomi mm. that lots of people still don't know about, mm. and it, she's a big success story. And she is a big success story for the whole of Wales. 
not just for the Welsh Zambians, not just for people like me and Rossi, but for the whole country. Mm. And we should take pride in people who succeed and to see that as normal. And we need to re-normalise that and replace areas where actually there is still unconscious bias that exists. Yeah, you I know, think and, so. and if you think about mm. your names, if Rossio put in a CV and somebody called um, Ellen Jones put in a CV, mm. we know that Rossio Sifuentes is less likely to get shortlisted even to have comparable experience and ability on a CV. And that still shows we have more to go. So. Mm take and celebrate the progress, but don't pretend mm. that everything is done and dusted. Yeah. I think schools, you know, the question was why isn't this idea of um, the, you know, the rich contributions that have been made by diverse communities, why isn't that more widely understood and acknowledged? And I think now we have a unique opportunity with the new school curriculum being revised in Wales. I don't think that for the last 10, 15, or maybe not ever, I don't think schools have done enough in terms of educating children about um, you know the contributions of diverse groups in in the wider sense so the curriculum is not diverse mm. in Wales and I'm not convinced at the moment that the new curriculum will be any better I'd like mm. to be convinced of that but that, that is a critical audience and I think there's a lot of events like the ones you mentioned but there's a danger that really they're preaching to the converted mm. And we're not doing enough, I feel, to reach into those communities who need this message the most. We're not reaching into working class communities effectively. There, there, aren't, there isn't a, a, a public, an effective public media campaign in Wales illustrating the contribution of diverse communities and that, that could be something. The, um, the Time to Change Wales, the mental health mm. campaign was a really good example of a really far reaching effective campaign which challenged the public's view of mental health. And the same thing could be done. Obviously, it's a question of resources, and it's a it's a time when you know there are there are there is a reduction of resources going around. But we need to think of in, innovative ways to reach those people who aren't being reached, who aren't already converted, because otherwise we're all just talking to ourselves. Yeah, and, but interesting. In the rugby event, we had the chair of the Welsh Rugby Union here. Yeah, I think sport is a really good medium, and, and there's some good examples in sport. Because sport yeah. is a leveller. You know, everyone on International Day wants the team to succeed and yeah. do well. Everyone's behind that team and shouting for you. And it's more difficult to scream and shout for Toby Falatau and then do something that looks like him and say, "What are you doing here?" Yeah. And and that's that's it's such a powerful force because it isn't tainted by politics. And I say tainted because actually politicians we can reach. We have a responsibility mm -hmm. as leaders. But also, there are some people who will see a politician and say, I know that person is lying because their lips are moving. And we need to accept that, you know, we have a responsibility, but it's about sharing that responsibility and leadership. And, you know, I think it is so important for people like the chair of the WIU to understand that the history is difficult and they need to be they mm. need to recognise that to create a different future. And it's part of what East are helping to do here mm. in public life. I've agreed to be one of the mentors for the scheme yeah. they're running to make sure we deliberately bring people in to see the building and the institution belongs to them because it belongs to the whole country. We don't always do that. Yeah. And that isn't saying that the assembly is uniquely bad. Actually, the assembly is a lot better than other institutions, I think, mm. on a number of things. But let's not pretend it's perfect. We've had one shadowing scheme in the history of the assembly uh, for... Um, black and Asian origin communities. I was part of arguing for that to happen in a, in a different life. But one scheme in nearly 20 years isn't good enough. If you walk around this building, 
The people that you see doing work here are in catering, cleaning and security. You hardly ever see people in decision-making roles. And there's a choice there about what we're prepared to do about it. So, you know, I, I do want the Assembly to think again, not about having another scheme and that'll be fine, but within each term of the Assembly should be part of the programme in exactly the same way that we expect the Assembly will continue to run opportunities to promote opportunities for young women to come in to see different aspects of public life. Mm. We should expect to see people like, uh, like myself, Rossio and Ali Abdi coming into the building and having opportunities to understand what it is to be a decision maker, to understand mm. the networks of influence and opportunity you need and how those doors get opened. Because lots of people either don't think the building belongs to them or they don't understand if they want it to, how they go about doing that. And that is work that we have to plan to do and not just assume will happen by accident. Yeah, and the youth parliament is a really good opportunity to mm. improve the image mm. of politicians and improve young people's understanding and increase the diversity of future generations mm. of politicians. Mm. And that's a really you know welcome initiative by by the Welsh Assembly, mm. um, which has you know so much opportunity and the approach they've taken to ensure a diverse um, mix of young members of the, mm. of the Welsh Youth Parliament is I think is looks really positive so they've partnered with specific organizations like East like Race Council Cymru representing young people from the protected characteristic groups disabled young people and so on so they're proactively ensuring that um, it is as diverse a, a group of young people mm. as can be to be the first uh, members of the Welsh Youth Parliament, and that is mm. really exciting. Mm. Well, I'm, I'm glad, Ron, that you mentioned Ali's name earlier, because <laughs> our third guest has, mm -hmm. has arrived. You you were obviously a bit busy this morning. Yes. On this note, this is an <coughs> optical note, isn't it, of how things are perceived? Yes. And you represent a very specific part of, of Cardiff, a very strong community. How how is the assembly perceived by black communities in Cardiff? So particularly like what the ones I come across. Yeah, yeah. So I think there is that kind of um, uh, not divide, but like it, it kind of isn't for us, particularly for young people in the community. But I think whenever we've had the opportunity to come into the assembly, do tours, the education guys are fantastic, the engagement team, uh, it really has raised the profile. And I think, you know, for those young people, um, you know, the first, you should just see their reactions, you know, the first time they do first come here, they do really like, wow, you know, and they're very inquisitive, they ask lots of questions. Um, so, you know, I think we need to do lots more of that. Definitely, uh, and encourage like even our, our local schools to do more of it. Uh, actually, just as I was coming through security, there was a group of 25, 30 African members of the community doing a tour. So I was, you know, you're always pleased to see people who look or represent you uh, uh, at any place, you know. So I was like, wow, this is great. I was glad to get in before them in the security check. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, I would have been in a, a lot more late there. Um, but yeah, I think you know, they, they, you know, there's, there's lots more we can all do definitely to to, to add to that and make things uh, a lot a lot more accessible. I don't think members of the community know they can just turn up here and, you know, there's a cafe here they can use and have a meeting themselves and just, you know, have a conversation and, you know, enjoy the views of the bay. Um, so I think there's a lot more we can do to, to push that out there because I think more people, if they knew that, they would come into the bay and they would come into the assembly and, and have a cup of tea and coffee up here in this fantastic building. So one thing I'm massively not aware of is the visual element because I've heard references to people who look like me you land you look a bit different but you see somebody who is similar to you what is that element how does it reinforce 
your own place in that community? How do we open up that welcome? Well, I think you've got you've got to deliberately plan to do it. You know, so the activities that Ali just been talking about and what Russia has been talking about, they have to be part of a program that you commit to. Because otherwise, if you say, look, we did a few of those visits, it's sorted out. Well, it isn't. Because you need to constantly reinforce the fact that this is an institution for the whole of Wales. You need to recognise people that are less likely to come here, that are less likely to think that the building and the institution represents and belongs to them. When I, when I grew up, in the community I grew up, and my family was really obvious and really different. Uh, I was lucky because my father was a, an accepted figure in the community. He was quite an important figure. And yet, when I went to school, there weren't other people like me. And when I saw on the television, there weren't lots of people like me. Uh, and it made a big difference to see people. So Nelson Mandela was a big figure uh, in my childhood because you know South Africa was on the news so often and understanding the story and trying to understand why it was that you could see pictures uh, of people being shot and riots and people running away and un trying to understand how that existed and what does that mean for you. And it did mean a difference to me. And as a, as a teenager, when Nelson Mandela was released and then when he became the president of South Africa, that had a really big impact upon me, particularly in the approach that he took, you know, because it wasn't about grievance. He wanted to bring his country together. Now, that took an enormous amount of personal courage and leadership, but he had the moral authority to make it work. And that was someone who looked like us, and that made a really big difference to me. And it's then about, so what do we choose to do? There are the things that role models have opportunities and responsibilities for, but that doesn't get away from the institution's responsibility to recognise what it's here for and how it has to plan to do better. Because if there isn't a plan to do better, you can guarantee it won't happen. Um, and that is sometimes about you know asking people to say, well, what do we look like? And accepting that there'll be criticism. Because if you don't understand the problem, you can't expect to have an answer to resolve it. Rocio, how much do we lean on engaged, passionate people, such as yourself, Fawn, Ali? Do we lean too much? Do you need more support? I think, um, yeah, most people in the third sector, particularly in the BME third sector, would say that there is a need for more resourcing because of the um, the increasingly important work we do in terms of community cohesion, but also the growing uh, numbers of, of ethnic minorities living in Wales, the, you know, the growth in the population, the diversity of that population, and how often and how much they're called upon by civil servants um, to represent, to reflect views, to respond, to engage, and so on. So there is um, a big, there is a, a, a big demand made on 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 groups like like mine, and Ali's, and so on, which it does need resourcing. That's the bottom line. It doesn't. It can't happen on goodwill alone. Um, also, there's a risk that it it becomes tokenistic and it, it, be, it just becomes just about engaging with those community representatives and ends mm. there and there's a risk that it doesn't go beyond that and that you know that's not unique to the BME community is it, it, it can happen in all sectors dis disability LGBT issues you know we don't want the engagement and the representation to end with those representatives you know and you know self-appointed appointed there's a range of leaderships and, and, and leaders out there but 
really the conversation can't just stop there. It has to go. It has to continuously try and, and extend into the into the not the usual and not the easiest to reach people. So it has to make sure that within race that there's a there's a good gender mix, that there's a good uh, reflection of the different religious and ethnic groups within, um, you know, the, the kind of group that's called black or non-white. Uh, you know, there's refugees, there's asylum seekers, there's migrants, there's European migrants, there's people who've been here for three or four generations. There's such a mix. There's people who are doing very well economically and there's people who are struggling. You know, there are communities where there's unemployment levels of 70, 80, 90% in Cardiff, specific ethnic groups. There's also, you know, record levels of child poverty in, for example, the, the Bangladeshi and Pakistani community mm. of, you know, 60, 70% of those children living in poverty. So there are specific barriers and issues affecting distinct groups. And it's really important that the diversity of experience within ethnic minorities and, and BME people as a group is understood. And it can't just be a tick box exercise, which sometimes it's in danger of, of, of being that. Well, do you have something to add on on that note, Ali? I think we need to definitely look to um, uh, develop more leaders within our own institutions as well, because there is definitely that capacity. Like you know, people do move on as well, but I think you know where sometimes organisations are spread too thin. Um, definitely developing more leaders from each of the different diverse communities too. Um, you know, uh, across Cardiff, because we've got some fantastic, you know, uh, well-established communities, but actually some of those communities haven't got uh, people who can speak out for them. Uh, and it's actually how can we go into those communities, identify those who can, how can we develop them, how can they then go back into their community because, you know, they, they speak the same language, they go to the same temple or mosque or church, uh, so they can be able to help and upskill uh, their members of the community and, and, you know, bring them into the assembly and other institutions. So um, I'm a big advocate of definitely identifying, you know, get a diverse uh, audience around the table so, you know, all the voices of all our communities uh, are heard. So I think, yeah, there's definitely some way we could go to, to to definitely do that and we're always going to miss you know groups out but even if we could just you know identify a couple each year and you know develop that and then you know move on to those who are missing each year by the time you know over a period you would have maybe reached all our communities uh, and the newer new arriving ones too well Vaughan I'm aware that we, uh, you need to leave um, I've got one question for you then because uh, Black History Month in Wales is asking about uh, Welsh black icons, yes. and you were actually mentioned as one. But I should I should let you know. In, Not in, the only in, person in the room. No, <laughs> <laughs> but um, do, do you have a Welsh black icon? Do you have? Is there somebody that stands out for you? Apart from Ali. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I have to say with it's it's really interesting because there are a number of people that stand out for me and actually the rugby player stood out for me because I watched the documentary The Codebreakers and I was amazed that Clive Sullivan in particular wasn't recognised. I've heard about Billy Boston and I know mm. Billy Boston's sister, Helena Boston, and she is a character. Um, but I didn't really know about Clive Sullivan and I felt that I should have done. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, part of the challenge for me also is about seeing the variety of activity um, now, but here in Butetown, the other person that I really, really admire and really like is Patty Flynn. She's got an amazing story, not mm. just as a singer and a performer, um, but you know the mix of history and the contribution, um, you know, about 
family serving in the forces and the mix of history that she's seen and lived through as well and the fact that she is still such a positive person uh, and that's remarkable lots of people go through life and what they see and experience makes them bitter but she still thinks all oh, this has happened but we've come through it and we can do better and i think that's a really really positive attitude to have in life um and I love seeing her. She's always got a smile on her face. So um, Patty is someone that I uh, really looked to, up to and admire. And I haven't told her that. <laughs> She'll hear it now. She'll be very <laughs> pleased. Well, thanks a lot for joining us anyway. No problem at uh, all. Rossio and Ali, are you okay to talk for another couple of minutes? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. great. Take care. Thank you. Uh, there's a couple of other questions. Just, uh, I mean, you, you raised um, Youth Parliament. Mm-hmm. And also votes for 16. Yeah. How important do both of you think that even like a, an extra sort of two years of the youth element, mm. and especially youth parliament, how much of an effect will that have on perceptions of politics from black and minority communities in Wales? I, I think I'm hoping it, it will have a positive impact. Mm. Um, so I'm, as I mentioned earlier, the way that they've, they're looking to ensure that the 60 young people selected to be youth parliament members are as representative as possible of, of young people living in Wales is a really positive step. Um, it, it remains to be seen. I think one potential pitfall is how effective and what role can that group of young people actually play? What powers and influencing abilities will they actually be given? And how much will they be listened to by mm. the adult um, members of the assembly? Um, if they become just a kind of a, a gesture, a token, mm. um, I think there is a risk that that will actually increase um, disillusion and disengagement and in, in and disaffection amongst voters amongst young people but I'm hoping that's just the risk if it goes wrong I'm hoping that those young people can make a positive difference that they can inspire other young people that they can be a very diverse um, impactful group and voice for young people and that they, they can you know by engaging young people in politics and voting at a young age so young people will be able to vote for members of the youth parliament from the age of 11 mm. and that will start from November mm. so very soon that in itself will increase uh, engagement in the political system going forward so it's it's looking positive from my perspective from my perspective young people are not particularly listened to certainly my experience growing up very much you needed to be quiet and stay out of the way my perception of different communities that have made their homes in Cardiff is that that's not particularly the case. There's a real positive element to listening to what children have to say. And, you know, there's a lot of wisdom that comes through. Ali, do you have... Yeah, I think, you know, I, like, I do a lot of work with young people. I think even just with the rise of social media and uh, the accessibility of social media. So young people are... You know, they've got access to news and, you know, they can give their opinions easily now online. Um, and I think it is an exciting time um, with the youth parliament. I've always been a little bit jealous of London when you see a lot of news and you've got young people there. And you think, wow, you know, they're doing some great stuff with their parliament and why have we got one here? So I'm really excitedly looking forward to what we can do here. Um, I think sometimes, yeah, politics can be a bit boring for young people, particularly if they can see people and issues being discussed there. It's about them. I think they need to learn and understand 
what they can also get involved in that does affect them. I think sometimes where you might talk about issues which, I don't want to say which issues, but there might be issues which actually um, others are really passionate about and mm. affects them, but like young people might be really interested in other things and it's like, actually, you know, why do we talk a bit more about that? And it's like, okay, well, how do you get involved in that? And how could you put um, a petition forward and, and get that heard by uh, assembly members? Um, so yeah, and, and just like um, uh, Rossio said, you know, that early intervention now to be able to uh, vote for the youth parliament members and on, and on decisions at age 11, uh, it's getting interest in politics at a very early age. And I think that's very exciting. I don't think, you know, at that age now, young people are exploring politics or what, what's happening. Um, I've got younger um, uh, relatives and, and, and siblings and, and at that age, politics isn't of interest but as soon as they get a little bit older and they start to see a lot of things affecting them then they can see the difference um, and some of them have family members uh, in England and they can see real um, differences actually some political things have had an impact on especially at um, uh, as, as a young person so for instance EMA is still accessible here uh, where the young people still get uh, like you know uh, a, a payment whilst they're in college and sixth form but it's scrapped in England. Uh, you know, the NHS and, uh, you know, the prescriptions are free here and, uh, you know, they, they you have to pay for them in England. So little things like that, they're like, whoa, you know, mm. how's that possible? So they can start to make that link that actually these are things and decisions made on a, on a local level uh, at the assembly with the assembly members. Really brings it home. With those differences you just mentioned, you know, with the assembly, and what what it's what it means for the citizens of Wales and what the UK Parliament means for the for the citizens of of England specifically. Do you think more can we do as an assembly as a nation? What can we carve out for ourselves here in Wales? Yeah, I think we need to definitely demonstrate that you know how Wales we are and how Welsh we are and how strong we are. You know what we have to offer. It's obviously going to be very difficult this um, this period going forward, uh, whether it happens or not. But I think we just need to keep that, that unique identity that you know the assembly is here, you know here to stay, and really reinforcing what the great things are uh, about um, the parliament, about you know Wales making its own laws, and could they have access to more to do more? Um, because I think you know that the the less you have the less um you're taken seriously in that political climate in the world so i think it's really important even for young people growing up that they can see that you know their country their sovereignty isn't taken for granted yeah i think um obviously we need to start with the areas which are devolved to wales and to the welsh government so um as i've mentioned already education is critical in that i think we really have to ensure that children and young people growing up in Wales have the best opportunity to learn about the positive contributions that different communities have made to Wales over time um, and to learn about different cultures and religions and experience those as well so it's not just um, academic but they get to meet people from different backgrounds and who are who they perceive as different to them and who they may have previously feared because a lot of evidence shows that um, prejudice is highest in areas which have least experience of difference so just meeting somebody who is a Muslim or is black or is a refugee or is disabled talking to them hearing from them realizing that they're pretty similar to you actually it makes a huge impact so experiential education is something that um, we are in Easter really pushing for to be um, included in the new curriculum I think another key area apart from education 
which I've already mentioned as well, is poverty. And in these kind of pre-Brexit, post-Brexit times, unless we really tackle poverty and growing inequality in Wales and use all the levers available to Welsh Government to do that, we're going to keep on seeing, um, you know, divisive narratives, uh, discrimination, even, you know, that turning into racist abuse, hate crime. It's all on a spectrum, even, you know, far-right extremism, as we've seen um, with the unfortunate example of Darren Osborne. It is on the rise, and I think we need to look at the root of the problem, which I think is systemic and growing and grotesque inequality, actually, which is why so many people are so angry from both white communities, from Muslim communities. It's not having access to the resources that they are entitled to, which we've all we all work hard to generate. Um, we, you know, we we create wealth as a as a country um, between us all, but the the benefits and the rewards aren't shared equally. So uh, I think Welsh government, I would hope, would really push really hard on their new plan, which the, you know their new overarching strategy is prosperity for all. I would like to see that you know, really be enacted as a, as a true vision. So prosperity for all, of course, that's looking at Wales nationwide. Yeah. You have offices in, in, in Swansea, up in uh, Wrexham, Newport, Cardiff. Yeah. Ali, you primarily work in Cardiff. I was wondering about whether the element of black communities is different, dependent on where you are in Wales. Cardiff, obviously, there's a rich multicultural elements to it, but in other places less so. So I wonder if the perception is a little bit different in other parts of Wales. I wonder if either of you could um, touch on that. Yeah, I mean, it's very different. Um, I grew up in Swansea where uh, 20 years ago, there was probably a handful of black people in that city. So there was not an established black community in Swansea until you know the last two decades. Um, Cardiff obviously has the Somali community, the Afro-Caribbean community who've been here three or four generations. Um, Newport also has the Somali community and, and other Afro-Caribbean communities who've been there a, a longer time. North Wales has very little, you know, even less than Swansea in terms of African black um, presence in, in, in the north. So it is very different. The notion of um, black can some, you know, some people it's used very, um, in, differently in different contexts. Sometimes it's used to refer to black Africans. Sometimes it's used as a political identity for anybody who isn't white. Um, it, it varies, and it's very, it's also a very personal um, thing how people interpret that that label. But you know, the, the point is that we are all different, but we all share um, a, a shared history, we have shared heritage, we have shared food, we have, um, you know, we all live in Wales, we all want to live well together. So there's a lot more, you know, I think it was Joe Cox, isn't it? We have a lot more in common than, than separates us. So that is the, the overarching message that I think we need to um, make sure that children and, and the general public uh, take hold of and embrace, mm. but definitely there is huge differences between the you know black communities and their lived experience across different parts of Wales. Yeah, yeah, definitely share that, and I think you know there are <clears throat> uh, 
uh, ways we can definitely look to uh, improve things through cohesion and resilience and, you know, just bring people on the table, having conversations, uses sports, fantastic mode as well. Uh, and I know there's been a fantastic uh, initiative with the South Wales Police, uh, both in Swansea and in uh, and Cardiff, to engage lots of different communities, um, to build bridges between communities, but also between the police, uh, through football uh, and other actual league sports as well. And I think this is what we need to do lots more of. I think definitely there are um, communities who um, are don't there's a lack of understanding often between different communities and you know the best way is to just meet each other and and you know um break down those barriers because often you know if you just keep that ignorance you're never gonna uh you know move away from that until you meet or have those conversations with those people often who you're ignorant towards so you can ask them you know why do you wear the headscarf or you know why do you pray five times a day or why do you wear a turban or you know whatever it is you know and, and get it addressed straight from uh, the, the person who you have built that ignorance up over uh, and and it works both ways and i'm sure there are members um, from other communities who actually got you know some ignorance towards people who live in the valleys or you know people who hang around with people who are who got far right views and stuff you know and and you know the best way to challenge those people is to have those conversations and and settle there and say look you know like Rossio said that we have far more in common than does that, that unites us and divides us oh it's great uh, i think that's probably a really good point to bring this podcast to an end I mean those are extremely wise words aren't they mm. uh, be good if um, a lot of people just reminded themselves of it now and again before we go though icons of black whales Tally do you have do you have someone I've been thinking about this yes <laughs> you're in a difficult position with this one of course I am but I'm gonna go for a personal one okay it's an unsung hero and I think um, uh, my father so my dad uh, is a uh, he was part of the uh, the elders that come to Cardiff through the Merchant Navy, so you know he was hard working. He was you know um, you know he, he brought up a big family and you know he had a big responsibility. Um, you know when he came here on his own when he was young, uh, and he was working hard and then, you know obviously war broke out there in Somaliland, uh, but you know he had to keep it together. You know my mum then came and the family then arrived, but he was you know always travelling around the world. But he's a big contributor, just like. And, and I worked hard like lots of other migrants from like you know the Yemen and you know the Caribbean and and often they're, 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 those stories don't get heard or don't get heard sorry so I would say yeah my my icon is definitely my dad and other elders like him who you know came to Cardiff to make Cardiff what it is today uh, and he's still with us you know my dad he's in his 80s and um, you know he's well known in Butown amongst you know the elders in the, in the, in the, in the docks um, and there's a Red Sea house where a lot of the um, elders from the Somaliland community uh, um, come together uh, every day and you know he still wears a blazer and he still you know every morning wants me to drop him off and you know <laughs> they have great conversations and they watch international television there and hear about the news that's happening in their home country because they very much feel like you know big contributors to their country you know uh, in Somaliland but also they they recognize that Wales is their country too uh, and they've instilled that you know passion and uh, and and that wiseness in us as well as as, as the youth in the diaspora, you know, they want us to contribute here to Wales, and they want us also to not forget our roots uh, in Somaliland. So I'm constantly back and forth, and I'm helping family members and other institutions uh, in Somaliland whilst also being, uh, you know, playing my role here in Wales. So yeah, it's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, yeah, you stole my line, Ali. I was no, going to say un- unsung heroes, but I, I, I'm not thinking of individuals. I'm thinking of all the kind of people whose names we probably don't know, who are, you know, people who fought, black people who fought in the First and Second World Wars, um, people who worked hard in the mines, in the docks, nurses, dinner ladies, people who've, you know, set up takeaways, restaurants all over Wales, who really just grafted all of their lives for very little economic or any other kind of reward, really, um, but have really, through their sheer hard work, literally built the Wales that we can enjoy today. So... All of those people are my kind of black icons. Yes, I second that. Mm. Uh, without them, we wouldn't be in the Wales we are today. Yeah. If anybody's interested, I've got two. One is Eric Young, centre-back for Wales back in the 90s. And the second one is a poet called Leonora Brito, um, whose work was massively impactful on my uh, university days. Have to look them up. Fantastic, <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks a lot. It's been amazing. It's been a real eye-opener. Um, I hope you enjoyed yourselves. And um, hopefully we can do it again sometime. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Thank you. Back. <laughs> thank you.